0: you're listening to the empath insights podcast. And today I'm talking about three simple ways to set healthy boundaries. Stay tuned. I'm Rachel Hudson, and I help empaths just like you learn to thrive, learn to stop absorbing other people's stress, and embrace your natural gifts. I also teach you how to manage your sensitivities in this sometimes insensitive world we live in. Well, I'm so happy to be back with you this week. And yes, we're talking about really simple ways to set healthy boundaries, whether you're an empath or not. Now, one of the best ways to improve relationships is to set healthy boundaries there's no surprise there right but you might be asking what exactly is a boundary well a boundary is really just communicating or letting the other person know your preferences about how you want to be treated it sounds pretty basic easier said than done right now if you don't really have strong boundaries And listen, a lot of empaths do not have strong, healthy boundaries, at least in the beginning. I know I had pretty uh, wishy-washy boundaries in the past. I'm a lot better now. And if you have weak boundaries, you might want to ask yourself why or what is holding you back? Some things that actually came up in a lot of reading that I've been doing about boundaries is... One of the things is you know is it a low self-esteem maybe you've never ever said no to anybody or really understood what it's like to set a boundary or maybe you're afraid of rejection or you're afraid of hurting another person's feelings And I know this is really um, common for empaths. It was common for me. I was always afraid of hurting someone's feelings by saying no. Or here's another one that came up in all the reading and research that I did for this is that maybe you were afraid of expressing yourself in your family as a kid. And this slowly developed into a habit. And here you are probably as an adult, and you're still struggling with this issue. Now, the first way to set a healthy boundary that I want to talk about is, it sounds so obvious, learning to say no. Oh, again, easier said than done. And learning to say no from a really good place. You might be wondering, how do I even start? The easiest way to say no and have it received really well, is to come from a very neutral, grounded, and centered place. Really important. Because being reactive and annoyed will give you not so great results, probably pretty negative results. What happens when we have trouble saying no, is that if you're wishy-washy, you probably won't be taken very seriously. Now I'm raising my hand on this one. Because this was me for a long time, I would say no, and then say, Well, okay. (laughs) If you've ever done that, I feel your pain. Or you might default into the designated victim or doormat kind of like what we talked about a few minutes ago. Maybe like when you were a kid, you just kind of defaulted into that victim mode of the family or friend group. Also what happens is if someone has unrealistic expectations of you or they maybe they ask you to do something that you're not able to take on, I want you to remember that no is a complete sentence. My dad used to tell me that and I'm like, "Yeah, but <laughs> I felt the need to please people." Now, what happens when you don't say no? Now, this is the problem. It inevitably backfires in a few different ways. You get overwhelmed. You start to resent the other person for you saying yes to something that you had no business saying yes to. I did this so often. I'm like, well, okay. I'll do it and then get really upset (laughs) and annoyed with myself and the other person, which was not fair to either one of us because I probably should have said no in the beginning. I don't think I knew how though. Or maybe you put everything on the back burner in your own life and then you get so overwhelmed because you said yes and now you have this big pile of Stuff that you need to do for yourself and your life and your four walls and your family. And that's really what makes us get really, really overwhelmed. And this does backfire on us. Now, I always like to talk about some solutions here. This is going to be uncomfortable and it takes some practice, but feel the fear. You're going to be scared to do it, you're going to be so afraid of hurting someone's feelings. But set the boundary anyway. You might be wondering how to do this. Well, you, you probably want to start with somebody who is easier. Like, I never answer my phone, so this doesn't apply to me. But if you still answer your phone and it's a telemarketer, practice not being annoyed, but practice coming from that loving, kind place and learning to say no. You might want to have a script. I did this for a long time because I just couldn't figure out how to do it. And I just had to write it down like I have a script when someone asked me to do something that I can't do or I don't want to do. And it was one sentence. Another thing that works is starting with maybe a friend, a very supportive friend who's going to understand what you are trying to established for yourself in your relationships, and they might be very happy to help. Now the warning is, and I laughed so hard when I read this. Uh, I found this in Judith Orloff's, Dr. Judith Orloff, Thriving as an Empath, her book. She says, absolutely do not start with your mother. And I just, I laughed so hard. Because I'm like, okay, yeah, that's probably some great advice. Now with the no, keeping a balance protects you from feeling drained and being drained and it supports your relationships. It's really a win-win. Now you can practice saying no once a day, even if it feels incredibly uncomfortable. It's just going to take practice and it will be uncomfortable, especially in the beginning, but that starts to fade away over time. Now, I found some really great advice. I forget where I heard this, but the person who was giving this advice said, you might want to start with your dog. I was like, what? You know what? That is perfect because, listen, I started practicing with my dogs because they are in the room with me right now. So I'm going to have to spell it out for you. They somehow trained me to give them c-o-o-k-i-e-s every time I walked past the you know what jar in the kitchen and without even realizing it I was giving them treats all day long I work from home I go into the kitchen I make my tea I make my coffee I have you know I work from home we're all together but as soon as I get up and head in that direction (laughs) they're like oh She's a sucker. She's going to give us a you-know-what. So I started practicing with my dogs (laughs) because they are very persistent. And this gave me a lot of practice. You might want to start with your dog. That might be a good idea for you. And the second way to set a healthy boundary is phone conversations, especially long phone conversations with certain people that tend to exhaust you. Now think about and notice when there's a good balance between that person who the world stops and the person who calls and talks for hours about their problems. My best friend, Alicia, she lives in Hawaii. We've been best friends for 20 years. We have a hard time connecting due to the time difference a little bit, we both have pretty busy lives. But both of our husbands are like, Oh my gosh, the world is just gonna have to stop if these two get on the phone. And that phone conversation does not drain either one of us. It actually just gives us we laugh, we talk, we make we laugh a lot. We recap, you know, the last month or two months of our lives. And we both hang up promising each other that we'll make this a weekly thing, which we never do, but we hang up very happy. On the other hand, we do have those people in our lives, or maybe these people are going through a season of their life where they are just struggling. And I want you to notice if this exhausts you. Now, our natural tendency is to help a friend in crisis, of course, but if a person is always in a crisis, that's another story. Because the problem occurs when the person calls you because they know that you are going to indulge in their victim mode. Maybe this person is just going through something or maybe it's just their way of communicating in this poor me story over and over and over. This, my friend, is when it's healthy for both of you to set limits. It's probably going to have to start with you. Now, you might want to go back and listen to the Energy Vampire episode. That's episode 12, I believe. It's fairly short. I think it's only like 10 minutes where I talk about the type of of energy vampire who is the victim now what happens when we indulge this person is we we are in emotional overwhelm now i think in pictures I'm, I'm probably everybody does but i feel like i think in pictures and i love to give visuals because it tends to get my point across very quickly this emotional overwhelm tends to feel like you've been hit with that invisible tranquilizer dart. You've heard me talk about this before if you've been listening to my podcast or you feel like this wilted flower. And the sad thing is what sometimes tends to happen is you might start avoiding this person altogether. That's also not healthy, right? Now I'm gonna give you a solution that does work and this might look different for everybody. And again, I got this from the Thriving as an Empath book by Judith Orloff. She calls it the three minute phone conversation, or you could change it to the five, 10 or 15 minute phone conversation, but whatever works for you. But this is her suggestion. This is one of the most useful solutions when you're in this situation. Now, first, you're going to listen briefly and let the person know that you care. Easy, right? (laughs) And then you're going to calmly, but firmly let them know that unless they're willing to discuss solutions, you can only listen for three minutes or however many minutes that you feel is comfortable for you. And it might even be useful to set a timer, if this, especially if this is a pattern. Now, if it gets too overwhelming for you, you might even suggest that they look for therapeutic support. You might suggest to go to therapy to help them work through their particular issue. Now this might be the thing that they need. Maybe nobody said anything. Let them know that you're not qualified to help them work through this issue, especially if it's an ongoing over and over and over conversation. Now here's the good news limiting your conversation to a certain amount of time is a very loving way of saying no to enabling this behavior, this behavior loop, and saying yes to being available when your friend is ready for solutions. You're not ditching the friend, you are helping. And you're also protecting your energy bubble. Now remember, you don't have to listen endlessly to those who are indulging in a poor me mentality. My husband, this is also another visual. (laughs) My husband likes to call it holding you hostage on the phone or in a conversation. You can set a limit and kindly establish the boundary. You can't be the sounding board because you're just going to absorb all of this um, negativity And you're going to walk away feeling really exhausted. All right. So the third way to set a healthy boundary is breaking the rescuing pattern. Oh my goodness. How many of us have been there? Now, sensitive people, you and me (laughs) might want to help those who are struggling or in pain. That's really common. But sometimes this includes strangers. And I'm going to give you a, hopefully a very quick short story. We feel so much for people who are struggling and often find it difficult. For example, when I had my yoga studio, I believe it was a month of, I can't remember if it was November or December, but one of the holidays, either Thanksgiving or Christmas, when we had a donation drive for a rescue mission who helped people get back on their feet, find jobs, get medical care, um, mental health care, et cetera, and I gathered up all of the donation items, which was oh, so amazing. By the way, our students donated things like shampoo, razors, also gifts, I think, um, deodorant, socks, just, you know, some of the basics that some people just don't have. And I dropped it off, I drove about 40 minutes to the town that my parents live in. And when I My plan was when I finished dropping it off, I would go visit my parents and then drive home. So I got to the rescue mission and I met with a facilities manager, very nice man, and the people who work there and they helped me unload my car and they were organizing the donations. And I heard something behind me and I saw a van who had a lot of their residents in the van and I could just... I don't know. I could just feel and see. First of all, I saw the look on their face. They looked defeated. And I got incredibly sad. And I held it together until I got back into my car. I drove to my parents' house. I cried all the way there. And it was only about 10 minutes to my parents' house. When I got there, they were both home for some reason it must have been on a saturday but they were both home and they're like oh my gosh what happened i'm like you you don't understand these people are so sad i could just feel it and i knew that i was an empath but i hadn't done the work or the research that i needed to i was devastated for these people and i felt helpless but my dad reminded me he's like rachel you organize this drive you got all these supplies and you don't it. You are doing what you can. Your students showed up and they gave and you did what you could. And so I'm telling you this story because it's important to understand the difference between empathy and being an empath. I felt it. I was sad for a week. Okay. Now, empathy is when your heart feels for someone that being an empath is when you reach out, you really want to take away this pain. And if you don't feel like you can, you're devastated. It's, it's really weird. You get sad because you can't take away someone's pain. So what I learned from this, and something that maybe you can learn, is you want to do what you can to help, and there comes a point where they must do the work for themselves. Now taking this out of the context of, uh, or removing it from the context of the shelter and the rescue mission, you might come up with your own example of wanting to help someone and you just feel like you can't. And I know many of us have been caught up in trying to help someone and maybe they started to rely on us, maybe a little too much to take care of them. Now it's a pattern that can develop that sometimes neither of us are able to see. Now, this this is very common. And here's where the problem occurs is when you get caught up in their frustration and offering the unasked for suggestion. Have you ever done that? I know I have. Now this leaves you both feeling incredibly frustrated and drained. Well, what is the solution? Well, I do have some suggestions for you. Stepping back is usually the smartest or maybe the wisest decision for you and the other person. You might be asking yourself if this person will ever resolve their issue or their problem. You just have to know that it's okay to live with not knowing. And that's, that's hard for us sometimes. You can always send them some loving energy maybe a prayer for them while giving them the space that they need to figure it out. And I love this mantra that in Judith Orloff's book that she talks about, when we feel like we have to rescue people, she's like, just have the mantra, I am not responsible. I know that sounds, it kind of surprised me. But on a basic level, it is the truth. This is going to help you feel less of a need to rescue others. And over time, you will start to learn the balance between healthy empathy and stepping back. Especially if they never ask for your help to begin with. So I am going to give you a writing exercise that I find is very helpful and it's all about boundaries. So before you even start this writing exercise i want you to break it down into each writing exercise into three categories work friends and family now the first writing exercise you want to ask how would boundaries improve my life again with work with friends and with family The second writing exercise, this question, you wanna ask yourself is what stops me from setting boundaries at work, with friends, and or with family? And number three, how can I show kindness to those around me while establishing and sticking with boundaries at work, with friends, and with family. So to recap the three simple ways to set healthy boundaries, we've got learning to say no, that's number one. And number two is the three minute phone conversation. And number three is work on breaking the rescue pattern. You can start with just one to keep it simple, and then move to the next one and just Whichever one feels the most relevant for you in your life. Now, if you're ready to start thriving as an empath, if you're ready to start banishing those energy vampires, I'd love to invite you to work with me one-on-one. Just go to my website, rachelkhudson.com and just go to the tab that says work with me and we can schedule a free consultation. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope you have a wonderful week. Be kind to yourself, say nice things to yourself and be kind to others. And I'll see you next time. Bye.